All right, welcome to Current Trends in Education, and I'm Dr. Diaz. Today we have Dr. Fred Jones and lead trainer Patrick Jones. Over 40 years, Dr. Jones has studied highly successful teachers, the naturals, to see how they make success look easy. Dr. Jones' most recent book, Tools for Teaching, offers an updated description of classroom management enriched by two decades of teacher training. Patrick, well, Patrick has been working with Fred since the mid-90s and given workshops since 2006. Since Fred retired in 2014, Patrick has been the lead trainer. This is an exciting show. I'm very, very excited to talk with these guys about how Tools for Teaching can help each teacher administrator, and it's just a great program. All right, so we're going to jump right into this. Patrick, Fred, how y'all doing? Hello. Doing great. How you been? Awesome, man. I tell you, I, I'm super excited. There are so many updates that are happening. I check out your website often because I, I preach breaking up teaching. And I wanted to find out, Patrick, what new things do you have going on on fredjones.com? Yeah, well, we've been trying to kind of update and um, we're taking the the quarantine as an opportunity to, to get to all those projects that we've been kind of pushing to the back burner and knowing we needed to get them on the front burner. So um, we're, uh, we're now offering webinars to districts where normally I would go to a district and work directly with their staff um, in this time of quarantine. Uh, you know, I can't get there and we can't meet in groups. So we're trying to figure out how to provide tools for teaching training to people. And so uh, we can do Zoom meetings and webinars. So we, we've got the cap capability to do that now. And we've also got uh, some of our videos, some of our training videos, and we've got some parent videos that are now online as well. So those are all set up as uh, courses that you can take on your own from, uh, from, your, from your desktop. So we're excited about getting all this stuff out there for people to just be able to use and access. That, that is amazing. That's, and, and that's really going to hit a lot of folks. That's going to be great. Fred, I got a question for you. With, with all this, is, do you consider Tools for Teaching a program, a system? How do you consider that for the classroom? Oh, that's a tough question. Um, I really think of it as uh, the playbook for a teacher. All the fundamentals that they need in order to successfully play the game. And uh, it's discipline, it's instruction, it's motivation, but more importantly, they all go together so that it's, it's really, uh, I think of it almost as a sport where you're mastering one skill after another, but slowly your game is getting better and better. Right, I, you know, I, I tell you, when you talk about that, and I've seen in some of the promos on YouTube, I've seen them talk about synergistic, and I, I find it to be that way, how everything pieces together. And when yeah. you started this, I mean, when you think about it, they have PBIS, and now we're really into social-emotional learning. All of that is inside of this program. It houses almost everything that someone needs in the classroom. It really hits for everyone, and as a new educator, anyone coming right out of school, this program helps. But then I've even seen educators that 25 years in, and they're like, I have never even thought about common strength 
upset as weakness. So it, with <laughs> that, could you speak to that, Fred? Well, um, one of the things that I think separates this program from most others is that it's skill oriented and skill building requires coaching. And so you can tell somebody to be calm, but that does very little good. You, you need practice exercises and coaching to uh, build up reflexes, literally, that uh, help you um, relax in the face of provocation where normally your body would uh, get upset. You'd have a fight-flight reflex. And so we go through all these uh, drills, everything from breathing to slowing down your body motion to uh, approaching a child. Uh, and it... it um, it takes classroom management out of the realm of the should and puts it into specifics. I think one of the things that's, that's unique of this, pro in this program is the specifics. You know, I've, I've been reading the same shoulds, the platitudes and the things that we ought to do better in the classroom for 50 years. And uh, yet, it's there's surprisingly little progress toward exactly what do I do. And, and when I give the workshops, I, I, I find that that's what teachers appreciate about it, that, that they think they come to me at the breaks and they say, well, now I've, I've got something I can do tomorrow. You know, it's not yeah. something that they have to kind of parse through themselves. And like Fred was saying, either platitudes or just concepts. We try and take, introduce them maybe as a concept but then what we're always driving to is, okay, now that's great. Now, how do you do that? And then we try and provide them with the practicality of this is what you actually do when this happens in your classroom. And, and you, oh, do, absolutely. you do amazing at that. Patrick, I was so fortunate to attend one of your workshops. And, and when I was there and just watching everyone practice breathing and separating the jaw <laughs> and, and everything that you walk through that you're your books mention, and then you have in your videos, the system is amazing and things that I never even thought of. And I went to a very good education school I, and I felt it was amazing. And it, but you prepare folks to handle situations and to handle themselves. And it's, it's really social emotional learning about the teacher and then understanding that student. And this transforms even into your parent, uh, program as well, correct? Yeah, well, the parent um, uh, program was designed because so many teachers have been using our program and said, I've been trying some of these things out at home on my kids, just practicing on my kids. And it's really helping, um, not just kind of helping my kids uh, understand that I mean business and, and that I need things, you know, when I ask you to do something, I expect you to do it and all that stuff. But also, building my relationships with my kids that they they understand you know where i'm coming from i'm not be, being upset and so it doesn't turn into me just nagging at my kids or that uh we're getting i'm getting in an argument with my you know 14 year old and all those things stopped happening when teachers started using the same techniques that we were teaching them for the classroom at home and so we wanted to have a program that was focused on uh, families building better relationships and using these same skills. So we basically, um, you know, kind of trimmed it down, removed the stuff that was just really classroom specific, 
but took the same uh, philosophies and, and and turned them into you know just home specific. And so um, it's been very successful. It was originally designed for teachers who had been using the program in their classrooms to then train their parents, the parents of their students, in the same skills that they were using in the classroom so that there was some parallel between uh, expectations at home and in the classroom. But also it allowed teachers to um, build relationships with those parents so that the parents understood what teachers were trying to accomplish, get everybody on the same page so that you know, if a parent-teacher conference is necessary, it's not adversarial. It's we're coming from the same place. You understand what I'm trying to do. You're hopefully trying to use these skills at home and let's solve this problem as opposed to, you know, just somebody's in uh, in trouble. And so, uh, and so, you know, defensiveness went down and all that. So we're um, we're pretty proud of the of the parent program, and and now that we're able to put it online as a course, uh, we're excited to just get it to the general public, you know, and especially with kids at home now, uh, you know, 24 hours a day and uh, parents dealing with the stress of not only maybe working from home, but trying to facilitate um, the school learning and having the kids there all day uh, that we can help a little bit. So, um, you know, we've put it online and, and the first uh, part of the course is free. So you can really get into it and the the calmest strength that you were talking about and the meaning business part is all there as part of the the free introduction to uh to the course so hopefully parents will get on there and at least have some you know some new ideas and and practice some skills to to use at home right away oh yes that is it it is absolutely awesome it's a great uh, playbook like uh, Dr. Yeah. Jones said. And I got to tell you, so fredjones.com and those that have, you, that have joined us, if you'd like to hit call in, ask any questions, we have Dr. Fred Jones, we have Patrick Jones here and check in as well at fredjones.com and check out those resources that they have. And we're going to start talking nuts and bolts of the system. I'm going to just go through some questions until we get folks that are um, calling in or, or asking in the chat. And the first thing is, is that working the crowd in, in that classroom and understanding the zones is so critical because that is the first line of defense. Can you talk us through some of that, Fred? Well, I uh, kind of backed into a lot of this just by spending endless hours in the classrooms of teachers and particularly the natural teachers that um, uh, were having great results uh, with often uh, problem kids, special ed kids. And I was trying to, to see what was different. What was different between the teachers that were yelling and nagging and the teachers that, that just were having a good day in the classroom? And one of the things I noticed was, uh, was this movement. And um, so... Uh, that became part of the program. And uh, once you start to realize how important that is, then you look at the other classrooms and say, well, why aren't they? Uh, it seems logical. I mean, everybody in show business certainly knows about working the crowd. It's not a novel concept. And uh, that's when we started really our analysis of the teaching and learning process, because the teaching and learning process, the way it was structured in most classrooms, was actually creating most of the discipline problems 
and keeping the teacher from being mobile. Right. And, and Patrick, when I was in your workshop, you would, you would go over the zone <laughs> and talk about those zones and mm-hmm. how critical it is. And I almost think that the teacher desk is probably the biggest crutch in that room after, <laughs> after <laughs> right. I've listened. Right. I mean, yeah. Yeah. Um, so, um, when it comes to work in the crowd, it's really the foundation of the whole um, program, really. I mean, it's where we start. You know, the first thing that we talk about is mobility and proximity. And you had mentioned the zones. Um, it, we kind of think of it as a stoplight, red, yellow, and green. So if the kid is within a step or two of you, uh, they're in the red zone, and they're probably going to cool it and not do anything that would get them in trouble or disrupt the class. Uh, beyond that, there's kind of a yellow ring, uh, kind of a caution light zone. Maybe I will, maybe I won't. It kind of depends on which direction the teacher's facing. And, you know, can I get away with it is what they're thinking. And then beyond the yellow zone is the red zone, like, or excuse me, the green zone, like uh, green as in go, right? So they can go for it. They feel like they're um, free to, to goof off and there won't be any consequences. The teachers are too far away to, to make it worth their while. So... Um, the idea that, that your proximity <clears throat> dictates the student's behavior, you know, that if you're close to them, they're going to cool it. And if, if they're far away and they feel safe, then they're going to go for it. So if you're up in front of the classroom, just uh, kind of lecturing for long periods of time, then the back of the classroom just kind of feels like they're on easy street. And so that's what Fred was talking about when he said the traditional forms of instruction were actually uh, causing a lot of the discipline problems because the teacher's up in front, they're maybe behind their desk, there's barriers to, to physically being in the back where the kids are goofing off. And so um, how can we facilitate this working the crowd? How can we facilitate movement and proximity? And so that's where we start the day is now that we understand that you got to be out there amongst the, the crowd, um, how do you do that? And uh, always driving that question. The first thing is get the furniture out of the way. You know, make make a path for yourself that you can actually move around. So when you reference that teacher's desk, you know, recognize that if the teacher's desk is up in front of the classroom and you're standing behind it to be at the whiteboard, that you're probably 12 feet away from the closest kid in the classroom. And that red zone that you want the kids to be in is um, only about two steps, so maybe five or six feet away from you. So the closest kid to you is 12 feet away. That means your entire class is in that green zone where they feel comfortable to kind of, you know, not pay attention or kind of go for it. And uh, so one of the first things we do when we talk about arranging the furniture is move that teacher's desk and move the kids into that space that you've created so that if I'm gonna be at the front of the classroom, that's recognize that that's your home base, that uh, I get as much kids in the, re- in the red zone as possible while I'm there, and at the same time, create walkways and pathways for you to keep, uh, keep moving and keep working the crowd. Mm-hmm. So the idea isn't that everybody's in the red zone all the time. That's impossible, right? You can't get that many kids in that small space. The idea is that with mobility, I can maximize their time in that red zone while minimizing the time in the green zone. You're just always keeping them guessing. They always got to keep track and think, is the coast clear? And hopefully it's not clear most of the time. And so they're going to cool it. And uh, they don't really have time to 
goof off until, you know, here you are coming around again. So that mobility part was uh, really important to then kind of springboard us into the rest of the program. Oh, man. I, I tell you what, we have Dr. Casey Caraco. She, Karen Caraco is on with us. How you doing? I'm fine, Dr. Diaz. Thank you for taking my call. Oh, yes. Hey, and we're here with uh, Dr. Fred Jones and Patrick Jones. You have some questions for him? Yeah, I do. And I, I know I've never been to one of your workshops, but I know some of my administration many years must have been because all of this sounds so familiar and it's a great technique. And <laughs> I'm a band director by trade. And so, as you know, we tend to stand in one place a lot. And so, but these techniques mm -hmm. that you're talking about, walking around the room, help even in the music classrooms, in these large ensemble rooms, to go stand back yeah. in the tenor section and listen to them warm up. So it's good stuff. Um, the question I wanted to ask, because I really believe in this technique, but I'm now um, an instructional specialist. So I get to work with arts educators of all disciplines all over my school district. And what I'm noticing now is that it's not even so much about a, like when I was a teacher years ago, but hmm. when you go into a zone now, it's not trying even to get them to behave, for lack of a better term, or focus. It's to get them motivated to do anything. You know, yeah. as a young teacher, I would walk next to a kid. They'd sit up a little straighter. I remember even teaching the technique to young teachers. You just, just put your hand on their back as you walk by so they know that you're there. And boy, they would perk right up. And that was probably it for the 50-minute class. But mm -hmm. I, as a guest, come from the district office into some of these kids, you know, these classrooms, and I will go sit next to a kid, and they will leave that trombone slap dab on their knee and not even look up. Yeah. So how has that changed, and what are some techniques to not to have to control behavior, but to get them going? Yeah, yeah. Well, th that's not uncommon. You know, we hear that a lot at, a, at our workshops, um, you know, and it's not just in the band room. It's in the English classroom or the math classroom. And um, part of it, you know, I don't know. I, I feel like every generation has, has always looked at the previous generation and said, you know, kind of what's the matter with kids today, right? And so the, the way th these techniques are universal because what Fred did was kind of coming from a psychology background um, he just took basic, like he said, fundamental things like standing next to him. Now, they may not be paying attention. They may not um, really respect that. So you're going to have a little bit more work to do. Um, like you said, uh, you know, put their hand on their back to get their attention. You might have to say their name. Um, and then, so, but so in the workshop, beyond just standing next to them, we do kind of a, a crash course in body language. And we call it, you know, the body language of meaning business. You know, if you're back there with a student and, um, you know, maybe you're, I don't know, keeping it casual for lack of a better idea or better term, um, they're not going to shape up because they think, oh, Mr. Jones is back here hanging out or whatever. But if, you're, if your posture is that of meaning business and you're making, you know, um, direct attempts to say, hey, you have my attention or, you know, this is what I'm doing right now. Uh, you might need to call their attention to it, but they will shape up. And then also part of it is training. You know, um, it doesn't happen with every kid overnight. 
you know, you've got the kids who are generally well behaved and all it takes is a glance in their direction to kind of shape right up. And then you've got the kids who are kind of at the other end of the spectrum and it's going to take a lot for them to kind of respect what you want them to do. And so it takes some training. So with those kids, maybe, you know, the first week that you're trying our techniques, um, it's not this successful. You need to train them that I'm going to be in your space more. This is what it means when I'm in your space. Uh, this is what I want from you because they're going to look at you like, what do you want? Well, you know, why are you back here? I wasn't doing anything, that kind of stuff. And just kind of got to stick with it so that they know that this is the new normal. Right. And so if you're a guest teacher coming in, it's hard to do that because you're applying techniques as a guest in the classroom as a substitute or, or whatever the role is. And so maybe they're not used to that with their regular classroom teacher and they just haven't been trained yet. So you're dealing with them basically on the first day and every day is your first day. So that can be I can I totally understand how that can be frustrating is that you're trying these kind of proven techniques, but it's not uh, working for you. And that it might just be because you don't have a chance to build a relationship with the kids so that they understand what you want from them. All right. Awesome. Well, thank you. That, that relationship word. I was glad that that there's the key. Thank you, sir. I appreciate yeah, it. Yeah, absolutely. I got to tell you when, when she mentioned motivation and mm -hmm. in this playbook, you have a motivation section and I've gone over that at the secondary level and I'm talking high school and when I went over that with them, they were like, no, that's not going to work. Right. And I said, you know, <laughs> when we started this training, I asked you to keep an open mind and I want you to keep this open mind and you're going to try this. And they went out and tried and they started rewarding as, as your playbook says and rewarding time and doing PATs. Mm -hmm. And I got to tell you what the teachers that went at it, those kids started jumping for them and doing everything. We're talking transitions faster. Everything started moving for that classroom. And if, when you read Tools for Teaching, first thing is you'll understand through these stories and, and y'all have a great way of just making it seem like you're sitting in everyone's classroom watching these behaviors because they're in the classroom, right? Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. So uh, I tell you, Fred, when, when, and even in your videos, when you talk about it, it's almost as if you're observing and every teacher that I've gone, done training with, and we've gone and read your book, they all say, it's like, you're sitting in the room watching what's happening <laughs> in the classroom. How did you do that? <laughs> uh, well, uh, I'll tell you something I don't say in a workshop, but um, my background is in parent training and um, family therapy. And families are far more different one from another, particularly when they're in trouble, than classrooms are. Classrooms are all relatively similar. Now, a teacher will say, well, wait, 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 mine is different in this respect. And it is, but the scale of the difference is much less. And so, you know, if you spend hundreds and hundreds of hours in the back of the classroom watching what's going on and boil it down, you're getting to the bedrock. You're getting to the common denominator of what makes classrooms tick. And so I think that's one of the reasons that the tools for teaching is applicable a first grade teacher, a fifth grade teacher, or a high school teacher. Yes.
Yeah, and Patrick, I'm sure that in your workshops, you see, you hear stories about how this has changed lives, correct? Yeah, you know, it's really fun when people give us that feedback. You know, you're talking earlier about there's something for new teachers and for veterans in the program. You know, it's it's fun when a teacher comes up and says, you know, I trained with your dad maybe 15, 20 years ago, and uh, I came here today thinking it would be all refresher, and um, and now I'm taking all these new things home that that I'd forgotten about or that. You know, your your the program I trained when I trained with your dad, it was, you know, it really changed my career. But now I'm gonna go back with these new skills. And and what I what we find is that um, everyone comes to a workshop with uh, kind of the the emergency of the moment. This is what I faced this year, this is what I'm facing right now, so this is what I need help with. And new teachers have different issues than veteran teachers. And so um, they're looking for answers that can help them right now, which hopefully we provide, but they're going to kind of cherry pick or glom on to a certain thing that helps them in the now. And then use that, that's what they're going to use right away. And then when they come back and do the training a second time, whether it's next year or five years later or 10 years later, they've got different issues because, you know, they've got that much more experience or they've kind of used some of our techniques. And so the program grows with you. It, I feel like it's, it's comprehensive, but it's also, um, uh, you know, it, 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 it applies to so many different areas of the classroom that you can always go back to it. And so I think that's what's great when Fred describes it as the fundamentals, like a sport, like it's skill building. Um, you know, you might not have to rely on a certain fundamental until that situation comes up. But when it does come up, uh, you always go back to the basics to solve that problem first. And so that's how we look at it is that this is the basics. And so it really um, does change uh, teachers' lives. We've had teachers come up and say, you know, I started using tech. I was going to retire. I was going to ask for early retirement. But, uh, you know, I started, I came to your workshop and, and that was 15 years ago and I'm still teaching. Or there's that window of, for new teachers, that three to four year window where, uh, new teachers either get burnt out and they say, this isn't for me, or they're in it for the long haul. And you got into the profession for a reason. You love kids, you love teaching, whatever it is. We want to give you the skills so that you can foster that, that love of the profession and not get burnt out and become a long-term uh, career teacher. And so we love hearing back from people tell, you know, when they tell us that, that we've had that effect on their careers. Oh, man. I, I tell you what, we're talking with Dr. Fred Jones and Patrick Jones, lead trainer of uh, fredjones.com. Tools for Teaching is the program or playbook, so to speak. And if you would like to hit that call button or ask any questions in the chat, by all means, we'd love to hear from you. I If, if we don't have any callers calling in, I'm going to just keep on moving. I, I want to talk about visual instruction, instructional plans and the visual instructional plans. I notice a lot of teachers start to get a little stuck on this in the secondary area. And, and, and when I've worked with teachers, we start creating them. And what I notice is when we work in teams and they start working out all the kinks so that uh, this helps to minimize the helpless hand raisers and all of those um, issues that may come up in the classroom, 
when the kinks are worked out on this, it just becomes something that really helps. So could y'all talk about those visual instructional plans? Fred, you want to take this one? Well, um, I came across visual instructional plans because, um, as I said earlier, the, the program just kind of unfolds once you start working the crowd. And I found that um, discipline problems came and went, and they came during a class period when the teacher was helping an individual student. And that would usually take three or four minutes. And it took about 10, 15 seconds for the class to just everybody start talking to their neighbor. And it was just a gab fest in there. And then the teacher would stand up and nag and uh, tell everybody to get back to work. And this happened over and over, over again. And so uh, I realized that we have to, we can't spend four minutes uh, tutoring a kid in the middle of class. So the first attempt to reduce that was um, praise, prompt, and leave. And uh, just to get people to be less verbose and to coach one step. What do I do next? Show them and leave and stay mobile. And that helped a lot. It went from four minutes down to about half a minute, but it wasn't close enough. And uh, so the next step was uh, a picture is worth a thousand words. How do I take what I'm trying to explain, even for one step, in 30 seconds and reduce it down to five seconds or less. And it was a picture. Now, I grew up as a kid building model airplanes. And so the model airplane company understood VIPs because they're never going to be able to instruct the kid who's putting this together. And so it, it kind of seemed natural for me to have uh, one step at a time and a picture for every step. And I found, I think as you found, that when you get teachers together to start working on these visual instructional plans, what they're really developing is their task analysis skills. It's a, a task analysis is an example of uh, something that everybody talks about, but there's no real training program for. And um, so, yes, I should break this task down into to steps, but uh, your steps may be different than my steps. My steps may be kind of not that clear or maybe too big. And so it's working together with your colleagues to really uh, break the task down that teaches people um, task analysis. And, and the pictures that go along with it are almost um, oh, kind of along for the ride. You know, it's it just uh, a kind of a natural thing to do while you're breaking the task down. I, I tell you, and when when a teacher is able to say, uh, when the kid has a hard time and they've gone over and they've released to the students, when you're using tools for teaching, you're not going around teaching the same lesson twenty times again. You, oh yeah, you get released yeah. from that. And and you know the big the biggest selling point to this is that at the end of the day. The teachers aren't exhausted and they have something to give to their family when they go home because they're not teaching the same thing over and over. And you talk about that bot till you drop. And, and I got to tell you, the VIP is really where it lives so that they can make that happen, right? To a large degree. I think, Pat, you can probably talk to that. Well, yeah. I mean, um, that's kind of where we're coming from. 
um, and it, it's a way in for some teachers is, is we're concerned about your well-being, <laughs> you know, um, and your exhaustion. And we don't want you to go home tired at the end of the day because you're nagging the kids or you're, you know, having to reteach the same lesson over and over again. And so the idea of bop to the drop is that you're given the same matinee, you know, the same kind of show up there in front of the class five or six times a day. And that's just exhausting is if you're doing most of the work and the kids are only doing a fraction of the work. And so um, what VIPs allow us to do, it, it, you know, it's funny when we do breakout sessions at, say, a conference or something, and we've only got an hour with people, um, it's always VIPs is what we present them because we, we call it our our most powerful piece of technology. You know, it's it, this is the one thing that if you stopped me on the street and said, hey, you know, give me one thing from Tools for Teaching that'll help me the most, it's the visual instructional plan. Because like Fred said, it um, allows us to not have to give that personal tutoring session, not have to service um, every kid you know, that raises their hand for four minutes at a time. It allows us to get in and get out. So that's what Praise, Prompt, and Leave is. It's, giving giving them enough information to do the next step and then continuing to move because if we're not working the crowd and we're not preventing those discipline problems from arising then you know like he said 10 seconds in to helping a kid the whole class is off task so in order to keep a class on task you got to keep moving and if the hand raise are slowing you down we've got to speed up that that task and so um the vip just kind of put it on turbo where when we're walking around, if I've got a picture for every step for whatever the lesson is and a kid raises their hand, I can give them all the information they need by just pointing at the step they're on. If they're on step three, I point to step three and I might have a little bit of instruction for them, but allows me to get in and get out in less than five seconds so that I can then continue to work the crowd because the only information they need is what do I do next? Because really, what are you teaching them when you're there for four minutes? You're kind of reteaching the whole lesson, right? Well, they just become overloaded with information at that point because it's, it's just too much to, to kind of absorb. All they can really do is the next step. And then if they do that next step, they'll be ready to move on to the step after that. And so I can, you know, stop at that kid's desk multiple times while I work the crowd and keep guiding them towards the next step if need be. But I don't need to spend four minutes there overwhelming them with four minutes worth of information while I lose the rest of the group. So that that VIP really allowed us to do two main things, continue to work the crowd, but also give the students a place to go to get the information. It's, it's creating a set of plans for the student. And, and what happens after that is that you start creating independence because ideally after a while they stop raising their hands and they just look at your example on the board. They look at the VIP because they know that's where the answer is. And so we're, we're trying helping create students who are less dependent on the teacher to kind of maybe hopefully do their work for them if they raise their hand and they wait long enough. So that's, you know, the VIP in action does all those things for us. It, it accelerates learning. It increases independence and it helps me prevent discipline problems from ha happening. So that one thing is really kind of where it's at. Yeah, I, I have seen I, 
firsthand. I got to tell you guys, I have seen it firsthand. I've walked in the classrooms. I've watched them transform as your, your system is set into place in these classrooms. And I've seen students being able to master content faster, understand, and teachers release very fast to the class and releasing information. And that's really the big key these days. Everyone talks about, you know, release to the students as fast as you can, as fast as you can. And evaluations, administrators come in and evaluate and they don't want to see that teacher in the front of the room holding the class for 20 minutes doing a lecture. They want students working and they want, you know, students engaged in your system, tools for teaching uh, at fredjones.com. You have this built in and it really helps for teachers to uh, engage students, have them working as soon as they walk in. I mean, your system yeah. reaches to get them working, right? Right off the bat. Well, absolutely. I mean, you can walk into your classroom and have a VIP on the board. You know, this is what this is how we're going to start the day. You know, we, we call that bell work, but it's really a kind of before the bell rings work. You know, as soon as they walk into your class, they've got an assignment. And the idea is that, it establishes, you know, that this is a place of work, but it gets them in the routine of, of looking to the to the VIP for uh, a guide of what to do and what to do next. But when you talk about um, engaging the kids, you know, we learn by doing, right? And so for me to be up in front of the classroom for 20 minutes, um, that's 20 minutes that the kids aren't doing anything. Or, you know, they might be listening, but it's, it's kind of a passive and so we want the kids to be interacting with the material. And so what a VIP does is it, you know, like, like you said, um, you know, with evaluations and things, the you know, administrators want you to, to engage the kids and get them working. And so it brings us back to that same question. How do you do that? Well, with the VIP, this is how we address that question. You create the VIP, you've got an activity for them to do, and they can just follow the steps. And then eventually, um, you know, those steps aren't needed anymore. You know, the example we use in the workshops and, and in the book is, is long division. You know, a picture for every step of long division instead of just one long division uh, example on the board. You know, you look at that long division and, you know, that kind of finished product, and that doesn't help a student figure out what to do on step number four. But if you broke long division out into eight or 10 steps and a picture for each of those steps, then you can say, oh, it looks like you're on step four. That's the multiplication step, you know. And so um, it just gives them a place to go to find the answers. But it also gets the kids working. You know, we, you don't want to bop to the drop. You want to put the kids to work. And, uh, and so that's what a VIP helps you do. And so one of the things I talked to teachers about, you know, um, how do you do that? And Fred was talking about creating the task analysis. I said, it, it, with VIPs, once you get good at them, because some people kind of scoff at, you really expect me to draw a picture for every step, for every lesson that I do. And I say, you're, you're going to want to do this because it makes your life so much easier. The kids are learning faster and all this. But it's also not as hard, not as time as consuming as you think it is, especially if after you practice it for a little while. What happens is the VIP becomes your lesson plan, you know, um, that task analysis. What do I want them to do and, and, and how much information can I give them without overloading them? How can I draw this and have a, you know, a step for it? And, um, and so creating the VIP helps you uh, wrap your head around the lesson and what you want the kids to actually do 
with that information. And uh, it's, it's just a guide or a set of plans. Like Fred was saying with the, the model airplane, or I think the example I use in the workshops is, you know, uh, Ikea furniture, right? There's a picture for every step. There's no um, words on there or very few written words. It's just a picture of what to do next. And that's the, that's the, what the kids need, the piece of instruction they need. What do I do next? And that picture is the, the shortest, most efficient way to let them know what that is. I, I tell you, I was, uh, I was in high school and, and where this really hit home to me because I was in high school, I had a, a an experience under a, a director uh, named Larry Ratcliffe and he was conducting us. And instead of talking through a piece, he would draw pictures of what it should sound like. And then we, mm. we would change, the sound would change after he drew this picture, the sound would change when he would start conducting us. And it's, and that's this book and Tools for Teaching spoke to me in so many ways. And that's why I feel like it should be in every single person's hands. And, and y'all, we've talked, I don't, I'm, I don't work for your company. I, I don't get paid by your company, but I'm <laughs> passionate about this book and the work that it is and what it gives to education. So everyone, make sure you check out fredjones.com. We're going to keep talking about a few things if you would like to call in if you'd like to press a button ask a question by all means or you can put in the chat uh, i'm going to take a step back there's a few things that um that y'all talked about in the past in the book and in your videos about that first impression okay and that and you know we're winding up the year and of course i tell teachers tomorrow's the day you make the change you know, if we're having if we're having a discussion about change, you make it the next day. But let's talk about that first impression. When that kid walks in the classroom, they are making judgments. And Fred, do you mind talking about this? Because you explain it so well and how that dictates where things are going immediately. The, well, the kids are absolutely astute when it comes to sizing up the teachers. They have a PhD in that topic. And uh, so a lot of times they just enter the classroom, you know, whenever they get there and come in and start socializing with their friends and the bell hasn't rung yet. And uh, in the workshop, we tell you the teachers, you've already taught the first several lessons of the day. The first one is you can enter my classroom any way you want, talking, laughing, shoving each other. Uh, the second is I have nothing planned for you, so kick back and socialize. And it goes on and on from there. And um, a teacher needs to have a routine. Um, and I'm not a worshiper of, of routines, at least not, not in my nature. But there's no way for a kid to know what to do and to hop to it without making what you want to happen a matter of routine that can be rehearsed every day as the class starts. And so we teach the teachers, greet them at the door on the first day of school and shake their hands and get their name and then have the desks numbered, uh, with numbers on the desk and give them a number and go to the desk and have a, an assignment for them on the board. And uh, you know that can be uh, on a normal day of school bell work or on the first day of school, it can be you know, filling out some forms about your home phone and your address and all that kind of stuff. And um, then 
you know, get into the assignment right away. And um, it's not, you know, we, we used to measure and a typical class isn't doing anything until five to seven minutes after the bell rings. You know, the teacher's taking a roll, kids are strolling up and sharpening their pencils, and there's, you know, shuffling paper and what have you. And I say to the teachers, you know, five minutes out of a 50-minute period, we just blew away one-tenth of our total learning time this year uh, in what the teachers call settling in. And, and most teachers, most schools just accept that that's a normal part of classroom life, that you just show up and settle in and, and uh, goodbye learning time. So it's just a matter of being organized and having a plan. But um, the, the bell work activities become more and more important as you, uh, as you look at this. Mm -hmm. how, and those impressions are really important. The first impression, I, we have a question. How important is a tire to making those impressions? A tire. Um, I'm not an expert on that topic. Uh, I would say that if, uh, if you look sharp, they'll probably kind of think you've got a, an organized mind and a, a plan and you're a kind of person who gets things done. Uh, but um, I, you know, I'm not of the school that, uh, that says that, uh, you know, well, I tell you what, be wearing... have... yeah, yeah. Uh... Oh, well, I was just going to say, um, uh, um, I had, a, I had a, a teacher in high school, Mr. Gallagher. He was, uh, he was in the history department. So I had him for World Civ, and I had him my senior year for government. And, and um, he was kind of a character. And he would show up in, you know, this was the late 80s, but he would have kind of polyester plaid, you know, golf pants on that, you know, was – you know, a leftover from Caddyshack or something. And then he'd have a Hawaiian shirt on. And then on the, um, on the uh, kind of flat underneath the flag, he just kind of had a hook and there was probably a hundred ugly ties on that hook of anything you could imagine, any color you can imagine. And he'd walk in to first period. So if you had a first period of the day, uh, he'd walk in and grab a tie off the hook randomly and put it on with whatever shirt he had on. And he didn't care. He had big red hair and a beard. And um, but he had one of the most well-run classrooms. We had fun in that classroom. But uh, he, you know, he knew how to mean business and he knew how to get work out of his students. And he had a big personality that went a long way. But it, it you know, he had fun with attire. He had fun with how he dressed. And um, uh, and so it's not so much. Um, how you dress, although, you know, you may not want to be a total slob, but, um, you know, there's a, a big part of your presence, you know, how much of a presence. So we talk a lot about body language and, um, you know, I think we, you know, I'm six foot seven, so I'm up in front of a group talking about body language and every once in a while a hand will go up and, and uh, a woman will say, well, I'm only five foot one and you've got a big physical presence. How can I do this in front of my my students and get results. And it's more of an attitude. It's more of, of how you carry yourself, that anybody can have a big presence. Uh, it doesn't matter how tall you are or, or anything like that, or male or female or anything. It's just a matter of, of commanding the room, so to speak. And that goes a long way. 
And so when we, we do these crash courses during the workshop in, in body language, we're trying to teach you, you know, just kind of the basics of what, what signals are you giving off? Are you in charge or are you not in charge? And that's what the kids are going to read. It's not how you're dressed or how tall you are. Um, it's are you in charge? Right. I, you know, in, in going with that, and before we move on, I just want to say this is Patrick Jones with uh, fredjones.com. Tools for Teaching is the program, and you've got to check this out. I have seen that. Um, I've seen that in action. Now, I was with a group of teachers, and we went over the turn. And, and when you get the book, you'll read about the turn. And, of course, I reminded them, listen, when we started this, I asked you to keep an open mind and we're going to stand up and practice this. And I had probably about 25 teachers in the room and they got up and, and we started working this together. Um, many of them used that. And then they one, I had one teacher that came to me and said, I have never looked a kid back to work. And she was a brand new teacher and she, she had the giggles and we had practiced looking at each other and playing games and, and trying to make someone laugh mm -hmm. and all these techniques that you show and, and that you use that have never been done in any workshop I've done before or been a part mm -hmm. of, or even in the school of education. And this helped this teacher so that kids saw that she meant business and they just, she looked them back to work. I mean, I'm sure that you hear stories about this, right, Patrick? Oh, absolutely. I mean, and that's, you know, again, coming back to how do you do that? You know, it's one thing for us to tell you, you need to mean business or you need to have good body language and, or whatever in the, in the classroom. But um, then we actually walk you through what that looks like. And so it's a real crash course in body language and body language is universal. You know, every culture, um, you know, in the world reads body language similarly. And so, um, you know, kids are going to read the body language of the adults in the room. And so we, you know, uh, you talk about the turn. What, what you're referring to is um, when maybe there's a someone goofing off or causing a disruption uh, with and you've got your back to them and, you know, just many teachers just naturally at some point have looked the kid back to work. Well, it's not really a look. There's no facial expression we can teach you. It's going to shake kids up, but we can help you understand your body language and what it looks like to be in command of yourself. And then if you're in command of yourself, then you can be in command of the classroom. If you're not in command of yourself, you're not in control and you're having kind of knee jerk reactions or you're, you know, um, just kind of, uh, uh quick to snap at a kid or something, they'll realize that you're out of control. And so what does control look like? Control of yourself. And so that's all part of, like you said at the beginning here, calm is strength. You want to portray calm. And here's how you calm your body. Here's how you portray that calm with your body. And uh, you'd be amazed at um, the amount of respect that gets from the kids. They'll shape right up. You know, the example I always use in the workshop is, Everybody can probably point to a member of your family that meant business. Oftentimes it's a matriarch, maybe it's grandma, you know, uh, grandma might only be four foot 11 and she's sitting in a rocking chair, but she has a presence. And whenever she looked a certain, you know, gave a look, all the little cousins just shaped right up, you know, and there's probably a matriarch or someone in your family that just knew how to mean business and knew how to 
you know, that you don't, you don't push them. The no means no type of thing. And uh, put yourself in that position. It's okay to be that person. And here, here's how you do it. And so um, to see teachers then come back to us and say, you know, your program is so thorough, but, you know, so I just started with my own body language and with working the crowd. And I just saw a huge difference just in the first two days I was back. And um, it's, so it's powerful stuff, it, oh, but it's simple. Very powerful. And and the way you put it in the program with the stories that you have really makes it easy for teachers to comprehend, to really internalize. And then in, and then after, you know, they start reflecting on their experiences, then they start implementing in the classroom and things just change. I got to tell you, I love the program. It's tools for teaching at fredjones.com. We're talking to Patrick Jones and Dr. Fred Jones. The last thing we're going to wind up uh, talking about now, and if we have no questions coming in, I want to talk about consistency because when, when I'm, when I'm talking to teachers about consistency, I hear many of the same things as when I watch the videos that you all have. And after we start, they start to go, okay, I'm not that consistent. Can y'all speak to that? <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> <laughs> oh, consistency is a funny topic. <laughs> uh, Patrick's wife, Monique, is consistent. She's one of the only... <laughs> mothers in the neighborhood who is. And all the other mothers say, well, you just ask your kids to do something. And you say, okay, mom, I can ask my kids a half a dozen times and it still hasn't happened. How do you do it? And they're looking for, you know, a trick, you know, some one sentence that'll set it all straight. And it, it's not that at all. It's just how you think and who you are. And, um, I think consistency is one of the hardest things I've run across to teach. Um, I, I help people understand that, that um, there's no such thing as pretty consistent. There's no such thing as very consistent. There's only consistent and inconsistent. And once you're inconsistent, the only question is how often do I get what I want? You know, are you, hold, are you going to hold out for a minute or do I have to punish you for three minutes? Or do I have to punish you for five minutes? But uh, you'll crack. I've seen it before. And uh, so uh, if you can think of a better way to teach consistency, I'm open for it. But it is a, a, a huge part of the program. It's important because teachers, once they get familiar with the program and they use it for a while, we start talking about consistency with some veteran teachers. And they go, yeah, that is absolutely the key. Because once the kids uh, realize that you know, if they push hard enough, they're going to kind of get their way. Then they're oh, always going to test you. It, the question is, is today my lucky day? Right. And the, the only way they're going to, you know, uh, know if it's their lucky day is if they test. Did we break up there? Yeah, we're breaking up a little bit, Patrick. Yeah. Sorry about hey, that. So I, I'm with you on that. And I think you're going with if they, uh, you know, they're going to keep trying until it happens. I tell you, I often <clears throat> from from Jurassic Park where they're testing the fence 
And, and I think yeah. one of the actors says, you know, oh, they keep, they don't test the same spot twice. So once they find it, then they attack it and they break through. And that's pretty much what's happening in the classroom <laughs> for the teacher, right? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I've never heard a classroom analogy with Jurassic Park, but it's embarrassingly apt. Yeah, right. So yeah, when when the when we're talking about consistency, I, I think the the key is, and like Fred says, you know, they keep moving. The day that they push the wall just a little bit, yeah, that's when you know they know they've got it. So I always tell teachers, you know. If you're up till, let's just say you get tickets to go to a, a hockey game and you're up late that night and the next day you come in, you're just feeling a little bit down and that day you give a little bit that you normally never do. It takes weeks to overcome that with your kids because they're pushing harder and harder to get more, right? Yeah, well, I think that's what I was saying when I broke up is that um, the kids are like, is today my lucky day, right? And the only way they're going to know if it's their lucky day is if they test you. And so the more you break, the more they're going to test. I think the, the, the key to consistency, or, or I shouldn't say the key, but kind of the goal, you know, why it's important to be consistent, is that if the kids test you and they never win, eventually they stop testing. And that's a win for the teacher, is that the kids understand that what I say goes, or you know, if I say no, I mean no, that's kind of the 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 parent example you know that the kid that keeps pushing and you told them no and they want to bargain and they want to keep pushing and pushing and finally just say all right enough already you know you can have it um if they realize that no actually means no then instead of having to say no five times you say no once and that's end of discussion and because the kids know they're never going to get it because they're just banging their head against that wall and so the the funny thing about consistency is that you know, if you are consistent, your life gets easier. And if you're inconsistent, yep. your life gets harder because the kids, they're going to test right. and test and test. Unfortunately, sometimes we, uh, we, we inflict the pain upon ourselves in the classroom. <laughs> That's true. Yeah. Well, I got to tell you, we're, we're rounding up on time. This has been a special, special hour for me. And uh, we're going to, I'm going to play some music in a moment. Do y'all have anything that you want to say before we, uh, we uh, end this podcast? This is what's going to be published. Well, I, I think, anything, Patrick? well, you know, um, being in this kind of time of quarantine, uh, we wanted to uh, kind of talk about, and I'm glad we spent a lot of time talking about VIPs because, and even, um, uh, praise promptly, but but VIPs especially because in this time of distance learning and doing stuff over the uh, over Zoom or whatever, that those VIPs, a picture for every step, can really help teachers who are trying to convey the lessons in, uh, online. That they can you know post pictures and the kids can you know snapshot or have those pictures um, available to them so that they can do the assignments without a teacher in the room, whether they're at home. And also they help the parents, the parents who are now kind of surrogate teachers having to take those lessons that are happening on Zoom and kind of implement the work uh, at home. Um, it really helps them understand the lesson as well. It breaks it down into just a visual, here's what you do next type of thing. 
And so it allows the parents to really uh, be in the teacher's head a little bit and understand what they're trying to accomplish. And then they can help, you know, help the student reach, reach that, uh, that accomplishment together. So, um, you know, VIPs can really be helpful now, you know, when we talk about working the crowd, people are thinking, well, when I'm back in my classroom, I'll do that. So something that they can help now, or, have, you know, that can help them now is, is that VIP trying to incorporate that into your online learning. So I, I think that's just topical. And I wanted to, uh, address that before we got off. Well, I appreciate it. Fred, thank you for coming out of retirement this evening for us. <laughs> it's been a pleasure. Yeah, man. Well, listen, I'm going to play a little music. We'll sit around and chat for a few after this. Here we go. All right. Thanks, Fred. I'll be right back, Pat. Sure. All right. We got to talk with Patrick Jones and Fred Jones of fredjones.com, Tools for Teaching. And it was amazing to hear them talk about the program, that playbook for teachers in the classroom. I got to tell you, for me, I got to speak with my idol today. Dr. Fred Jones, after reading and watching all the videos and going through this program with teachers, everything I see in education, I can relate back to this program. And many of my te uh, many of the teachers I've worked with, they come back from trainings going, hold on, they were doing Fred Jones stuff. So you got to check it out and um, join us next week. Uh, we will uh, be talking more current trends in education. And I appreciate you listening. Be safe and uh, thanks so much. <laughs>